No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring. Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh. And I'm Melissa Hotmeyer, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. This week's episode is going to focus on sexual assault exams, or what we often refer to as SAFE exams. And SAFE exams serve a lot of purposes, and we're going to talk about those. But what's most important is to ensure that any survivor of sexual assault receives proper medical treatment. 100%. Safe exams are wonderful tools for law enforcement and prosecution, but medical treatment is number one. Sexual assault exams do everything from STD testing, providing medications, plan B, treatment for injuries. They can even make psychological referrals right there in the hospital. All of that comes from a sexual assault examination. And so we were going to stress, if you were sexually assaulted, you really, really, really should go get a safe exam. Um, And so let's talk about what makes up a sexual assault exam. A safe exam is a comprehensive head-to-toe body exam that looks for both external or internal injuries. And the average exam takes about three hours. It's conducted by a specifically certified forensic nurse or doctor. The medical professionals, they require specialized training, and they have to conduct a certain amount of watched examinations by somebody who's already certified prior to getting their own certification. And then they have to maintain their certification annually. There are also even more special requirements for any medical professional that conducts a sexual assault examination on a pediatric patient. And Melissa and I can tell you, pediatric forensic nurses are hard to come by and worth their weight in gold. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's talk about the most common ways sexual assault exams happen. They happen from survivors who take themselves to the emergency room after a sexual assault or after a survivor has made contact with law enforcement to report the sexual assault and the sexual assault is scheduled for an exam by the police officer. And it's important to point out, and I think we've talked about it on a, on a different episode, that anyone who has been a victim of sexual assault can go to the hospital and have their own examination done. They can have a Jane or John Doe examination done, an anonymous exam. And basically, it means you get the sexual assault examination, but it's not reported to law enforcement. That's absolutely right. Best practices now indicate that sexual assault forensic exams should be maintained for 20 years. So that even if a survivor chooses initially to do a Jane or a John Doe exam, they can change their mind months, years later and come forward at that time, and the evidence is still there and preserved. Now, we know statute of limitations are different all around the country, and for sexual assault exams, they can vary anywhere from seven years to having no statute of limitations at all. But none of that should prevent a survivor from getting the exam. And so once the examination begins... The medical professional will collect basic medical information. 
And, you know, that can include, you know, just past medical history, any medications that the person takes. And then the victim is asked what happened. And it's really important for the forensic examiner to be asking the the survivor open-ended questions and that the survivor be allowed to explain in their own words how the sexual assault occurred. And, And this is not only critical for prosecution, but it's critical really for medical treatment purposes. The forensic nurse needs to know what happened so they can know, you know, what areas needed to be treated and inspected, what examinations need to be done, what other tests to run. And it's, so it's really critical for medical treatment that the victim be allowed to tell what happened in their own words. But it's also important for the prosecution because there is often in most states a hearsay exception, meaning that this out-of-court statement or this statement that's given to a medical provider can be used in court to help the prosecution of the case. And why what the victim says is so critical It's what starts off the whole examination. It lets the medical professional know what to start looking for. Generally, they provide their version of what happened. The medical professional will then take blood and urine samples. These samples are used for sexually transmitted disease testing, pregnancy testing if applicable, and also toxicology if from the report from the victim there is concern about drugs or alcohol. All of that can be done through those tests. The medical professional will then do a head-to-toe external examination of the victim's body, and this will include having pictures taken of every part of the survivor's body, especially where any injury is. Yeah, and and injuries include bruises, scratches, abrasions. They can include, you know, anything that is different on the survivor's body that wasn't there prior to the sexual assault. And what best practices says is that when you're doing these pictures, especially when there's an injury, you wanted them done to scale, right? So you want to use something like a ruler to be able to show the prosecutor and eventually the jury, if it gets there, how big the, the injury is or how small the injury is. And the medical professionals will also take and collect the victim's clothes for potential law enforcement purposes. And they'll take DNA swabs of any particular part of the external body where the, the suspect may have licked, kissed, bit or ejaculated on. And I can tell you that I have had cases where DNA was successfully collected and matched to suspects based off of that. And so once that external examination is completed, the medical professional will then do an internal exam. And this will include inside of the mouth, the anus or vagina, whatever is applicable based on what the survivor reported. The medical professional is looking for any injuries. And at this point, we're generally talking about tears internally. They're also looking for any potential DNA evidence. Swabs are again taken as are pictures. Medical professionals will use an internal scope camera in order to document these internal injuries. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's really important to point out here is that these internal examinations have to be done without lubrication. And the reason for that is that forensic nurses are trying to preserve evidence such as DNA, and they don't want to mix that and and create a problem. And so any woman who has had the dreaded annual examination done has an idea of what that means and how uncomfortable or even painful that can be. And, And you have to consider that this is happening in that vaginal or anal area that could already be bruised, could already be torn, could already have some other form of injury. And now there is an internal examination being done without any lubrication. So this is not some sort of exam that someone volunteers to go through. It is not, it is not fun. Uh, It is painful. We've had victims 
who haven't even been able to get through the entire examination because of the pain. And so, you know, it's important to note that because it it fits into exactly what we've talked about before about the low number of false reports of sexual assaults because nobody volunteers to go through this. This this is an extremely uncomfortable and evasive exam. And if you've been sexually assaulted, it's just really hard to go through. You know, we can't stress that enough. And if you ask about the actual exam and what they remember, it's it's mainly feelings like it was really cold. I was uncomfortable. It was extremely embarrassing. It was painful. And just an overall feeling of being alone and scared. I mean, it's three hours that you're back there having every single part of your body looked at. You know, they'll often tell me too about how sick medications have made them or how stressed they were waiting for the subsequent HIV testing that was done after a sexual assault. Luckily, There have been great medical advancements, and there are now HIV preventative medications that can be given right in the emergency room as soon as a survivor comes in for an examination. And it's just one more reason why it's so imperative for survivors to seek medical treatment, whether they want a criminal investigation or not. Yeah, you know, that medication is really important. And that's why we stressed, you know, so much that you should go get an examination regardless of whether you want a prosecution. The great thing about Uh, medical technology is that it does keep advancing. Just in the last year, our sexual assault examiners in our state have been able to use a special camera called the Cortex Flow for strangulation exams. And this allows the examiner to see injuries below the skin that may not be visible to the naked eye, where blood may have pooled or where there's deep bruising. And again, you may not see them with the naked eye. You may not have even known they were there before this technology came about. And so this tool has changed not just criminal prosecutions, because now we can see injuries that we may not have seen before, but it's also used for medical treatment purposes, um, so that we make sure that victims haven't suffered any injuries to their jugular vein or carotid artery or a crushed larynx. And, you know, these exams save lives. I can't stress that enough. Sexual assault exams are not easy. They're not short, but they are important. They can provide critical evidence and necessary medical treatment. But even with these exams, with these documentations, with these photographs, victims still often have to get on the stand and tell a bunch of strangers about what happened and have those pictures then displayed in front of the courtroom. Yeah, and we will get into uh, the criminal trial process next week. We're looking forward to that. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us on the No Gray Zone podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. And you can find us on social media, No Gray Zone RRC on Instagram or Twitter, and No Gray Zone on Facebook. There are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to sexual harassment. This has been a No Gray Zone podcast. I'm just good at caring too much.